The carriers are looking at certain things like that MFA requirement and saying, if you do not have MFA on, on your you know, admin credentials, your Office 365s, your emails, the things where you could and should have it, we're not writing coverage for you, period, mm-hmm. end of discussion. Welcome to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast, where we share short and to the point perspectives on the cyber landscape. It's all about engaging yet casual conversations on what organizations are doing to reimagine their cyber programs while ensuring their business objectives are top priority. With my co-host, Stan Wisseman, Head of Security Strategist, I'm Rob Borrego, Chief Security Strategist, and this is Reimagining Cyber. So Stan, I'm very excited to welcome back this guest and kind of take us down a, another path uh, where he shared some great experiences previously, but uh, but today's discussion, I think, is going to be a really good one. So, so who do we have with us today? Rob, I'm excited, too. Um, our guest today is Sean Tuma. Sean, listeners will remember, is an experienced cybersecurity and data privacy attorney and partner at Spencer Fain LLP, where he serves as the co-chair of the firm's cybersecurity and data privacy practice group. Our, our listeners, uh, you know, will remember we had a great conversation with Sean previously. Um, one of our initial episodes for the podcast, he brought his experience that he, he's had in, in this field as far as focusing in on cybersecurity and data privacy law, and brought a lot of value to our conversation. Sean, it's great to have you back with us today. Thank you so much, Stan. It's a pleasure to join you and Rob again on the podcast, and I appreciate you for having me. Excellent, Sean. And we, again, we're, we're really excited to, to have today's conversation. I mean, as Stan mentioned, you had some really great, I think, uh, poignant um, elements of focus, right, that organizations that you work with every single day should be considering relative to going through a breach, preparation beforehand and everything thereafter, of course. But our conversation today is going to delve into um, the cyber insurance topic, right? And there's been many changes going on, obviously, in the cyber insurance area this uh, these past several months at the end of uh, 2021. One of them that uh, we want to really kind of start considering is, you know, organizations are all in need of cyber insurance. Um, and so it's just interesting to see some of the changes that's happened over 2021 around how the cyber insurers have begun to really decrease the coverage, increase the rates. And one of the you know, latest kind of major uh, announcements came out of uh, Lloyd's of London, right? One of the biggest market shareholders for cyber insurance and how uh, they're discouraging their, their syndicate and their, their partners out there to not take on cyber insurance going into 2022. So when, when you start taking into consideration some of those things that are happening there, right? We understand that like any other business, insurers need to kind of rationalize and look at the risk they're able to take on to feel pretty good that they're still going to make good money off of the, those policies that they're putting out there. But just kind of in general, what, what's your perspective on what you're seeing as some of these key changes that they've been actually pushing out? Yeah, that, that's a great, a great question there, Rob, because, you know, 2021, um, I think will be a watershed moment for when we look back for how the cyber insurance market changed. Um, you know, it's no secret. I mean, first of all, there's this myth that goes around that cyber insurance uh, companies don't pay out on claims. That That's completely false. I mean, they pay out on legitimate claims that fit within their policies. And over the last several years, with this uh, ransomware scour- scourge that's like taken over the world, 
it's been a bloodbath for these cyber insurance carriers because um, where, you know, where in the past, a, a smaller data breach event or a smaller, you know, um, intrusion type network event for a company, you know, say they had a, a million dollar policy and it was a, uh, you know, loss of, you know, 50 grand in forensics, 20 grand in legal fees and 80 grand in notification costs. You know, you're looking at a small hit on a million dollar policy. Now with ransomware, it's been full policy limits on whatever size policies they have. And so they've lost a lot of money over the last few years based upon their expectations, right? At the same time, while the, the profitability of cyber insurance has gone down, the demand for cyber insurance has gone up because we're all raising the awareness of when you get hit, you need cyber insurance to help, help you protect and recover and restore and all that. So we're seeing supply and demand impact um, to a point where the insurance carriers are, are seeing they had to change. Now you add to that, they've now had quite a few years of very active involvement in the marketplace where they're seeing what's the root cause of all these claims. You know, because we're reporting as breach counsel, we're reporting back to the insurance carriers what the cause is. They're seeing a lot of the forensics analysis. And so they're, they're learning at the same time. So while they may not have the actuarial tables of, say, shipping or real property that's hundreds of years old, they're gathering this data as they go. And so all of that is, is creating what's being called a very hard market which means the availability of cyber insurance has gone down, the demand for it has gone up, so the price has gone up in the last even six months to double or triple what premiums were a year ago. And they've now layered in now requirements that, that they're, they're having before they'll even write coverage for, for companies. So this year, um, has been 2021 is a watershed moment for cyber insurance. So, so Sean, to your point, it wasn't until I guess they had some runway that they could build historical data sets to be able to, to make their, the, the actuaries that are associated with the cybersecurity space to be able to make some of those decisions. Now, one of the, one of the, the, the things that occurred also this year, and, and I don't know how this ties in, but there was some cyber insurers like AIG and, and Chubb and Travelers and Liberty Mutual formed organization called Cyber AccuView. Is, is that also part of, again, getting some focus on, on that data to help them better understand how to make decisions moving forward? And, and how does that um, organization um, help or, or hinder you know, those that are trying to get insured? So I think, uh, Stan, I think it's, it's, it's helpful in a sense of when you have competitors realizing, hey, we're all in this together, we're all taking a beating together, and this is a national threat, this is a global threat, this cyber risk, and so we need to do what we can to better understand what's happening. Um, I mean, look, there's obviously competitive reasons, right? They, they want to do better. Insurance companies are in the business of making money. Uh, 
just like all of us are. That's why we do business. They don't want to lose money. The way they don't lose money or they lower that loss is they become more informed. They, they learn uh, how to, to find better risk, write better risk, and reduce risk among the companies they are writing. And so by coming together like this, it's almost like, like we see these ISAC groups form mm-hmm. where they say, hey, let's get together and share our threat intelligence with the hopes that even though we're all in the same business industry, trying to get the same customers and clients, we're going to combine our knowledge here because it's so dead gum important that so, we can so, all learn from it. So is that resulting though in, in these insurers now that they have a better understanding and they're group groping in this context, right? Um, coming out with new requirements, um, you know, are, are, are there are new capabilities to, in, in order to, to, uh, authorize or to renew insurance? Um, so I don't policies? know, Stan, I don't know if this, uh, this cyber AccuView industry group has had an impact yet. I haven't seen, because it's, it's still in its infancy mm-hmm. and I haven't seen a lot of work product or output from it. So I don't know how far that's gotten or what the cause and effect aspect is. I, I think this is an important thing to, to try to do, the collaboration. I anticipate it will be positive, but separate and apart from that, we are seeing the carriers themselves individually learning from their own claims and their own data and saying, look, we know that if you do not have multi-factor authentication in your environment, you will get hit with a business email compromise. Boom, period, end of discussion. You will get password compromises. You may get ransomwares from that, right? And so they're learning from seeing what I see, which is when I get a new business email compromise case and I just got a call on one on Monday, and, I, and, and they said, but it's not our fault. And I said, well, do you have Office 365? They said, yes. I said, do you have multi-factor authentication on that? No. Okay. I'm betting 95% that intrusion was in your mailbox, you know, because that's <laughs> what we see. And so if we see it enough, we start to say, hey, stop doing this. And so the carriers are looking at certain things like that MFA requirement and saying, if you do not have MFA on, on your, you know, admin credentials, your Office 365s, your emails, the things where you could and should have it, we're not writing coverage for you, period, mm-hmm. end of discussion. Yeah. yeah, if you don't have the good hygiene in place that you should, right, now's the time we're going to tell you, basically, you're not getting anything from us in return. That's right. No, that makes sense. I, and I also like your analogy of this new group. Uh, which, as you said, is still in its infancy to provide, to help provide data, right, around cyber to insurers uh, back over to like the, the ISACs. I, I think that's a, that's a great point uh, and kind of tying it back into that. Now, one of the other things that um, actually came out relative to the, the, the changes that Lloyd's again was, was making and they announced was their change in how they define cyber war. You know, and, and as they kind of called it out that uh, they're, they're basically saying, you know, we're no longer going to cover losses resulting from cyber war as they define it. Um, but their definition is kind of interesting, right? So, so as they define it, you know, it's, a, it's an operation carried out as part of a war and a retaliatory attacks between speci- specified states or a cyber operation, you know, that has a major detrimental impact on the functioning of a state, 
So, okay. Like I, you know, I appreciate the desire to redefine that from their perspective, their side um, in, in kind of, you know, helping them out. But it just seems like it's such a loophole of interpretation of what that really means to, you know, the organization that, uh, you know, they're insuring. So, so I'd be interested to kind of get your perspective on that change and that definition of cyber war. Yeah. So I, I find that a, a bit concerning there, Rob, because, you know, cyber war came in or, or, or active war exclusions came up a lot a couple of years ago in the Mondelez case um, following the, uh, I think it was WannaCry, if I'm not mistaken, that just global outbreak of ransomware that, that triggered. Because um, under one of the more notorious claims, uh, this company Mondelez, which makes a lot of sweets and goodies and, you know, bake stuff that, that makes me fat, you know, all of that came, they got hit and it bricked all their, their computers. And so they made a claim under, um, under their property policy for a loss of these physical devices. And property policies have historically had an act of war exclusion in them. Cyber policies have traditionally not had an act of war exclusion. And so when they made this act of war exclusion, they said, no, this was state sponsored. It's act of war. We're not covering it. It created all this hysteria in the marketplace because people didn't realize it was a real, it was a property policy, not a cyber policy. Now, fast forward to this year, we're seeing the introduction of this cyber war exclusion or war act of war exclusion in cyber policies, which is, is new territory. And then to your point about how do you define act of war or state sponsored in cyber? Because as we all know, I mean, none of this stuff is 100% accurate in your attribution and we see a lot of politics come involved in a lot of this sometimes, depending on what the objectives of the nations and negotiations and whatnot are going on. And we see our threat actors who are skilled in deception, which is the nature of what they're doing, who know how to emulate other nations, you know, to make it look like one did it when it really was another. They, they understand espionage. That's what they're doing. And so to now see the opportunity to avoid coverage based upon an interpretation of attribution, that it, 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 you know, in my experience of working with multiple different insurance carriers, there are some that I love to work with because when there's a gray area, they try to find coverage for their, for their customers. They try to take care of their customers. There are others we see that even if it's not that great, they try to avoid coverage or they're real difficult to work with on those. And introducing something like this now, I think it creates a lot of leverage for the carriers. And it's going to be even more important to find the ones that are going to, are going to really try to take care of their insurance. Now, now, Sean, you spend a lot of time dealing with ransomware attacks. And if I recall, um, last time you were on our, our podcast, you alluded to the fact that attackers tend to know who to target for ransom. Um, and we, we know that they operate like a business and they do their own due diligence on who to target. 
Uh, it could be that it'll be a little less um, specific given the um, widespread log4j vulnerability will allow them to get entree into a whole bunch of additional targets. But in, in, in the matter of how they uh, target um, specific companies, organizations, and, and estimate basically what that range they will likely be willing to pay for ransom as they extort them. Um, how does this play in with, you know, how the cyber insurance organizations um, view things and, and, and basically make adjustments in their own mind as far as what the right, you know, uh, way to, to insure the, the, the organizations? You know, um, overall, the cyber insurance carriers are trying to just evaluate what's this risk that we're taking on, because they're, they're trying to understand the overall risk of the, of the insured so that they can adjust a premium to make it worth taking that risk. Um, at the end of the day, that's kind of, that's the simplest way to boil down what they're saying. They're like, here are the odds. And if they get hit, here's the estimated loss. What makes it worth our while to take that risk? And so in that, they're looking at the holistic picture. So, th so they, they have specific things they're looking at. Um, and, and the more, it's important to note that there are many, many different levels of cyber insurance available, right? So if you're a mom and pop pizza shop, you know, and your annual revenue is like, you know, really low and it's just you, you and the family running the place, you know, when you, if you ask for, if you try to get cyber insurance coverage, um, you're probably going to get a page or two of a, of an application that's really simple. And they're going to be looking at 50 or hundred grand in coverage, you know, something like that. That and Is that a different class of provider too, as far as versus something like a travelers or, or, or Chubbs? Yeah. So, so there are providers that focus in that market that focus in small business, small, gotcha. you know, storefront type traditional business, small online shopping, whatever. You can find different cares. And, and, and that process is going to be fill out this application. We're going to look at it. We're going to give you a quote. Mm -hmm. when, when you're a, a much more sophisticated, more importantly, much more uh, valuable business, um, like a you know Fortune 50 or something like that, that process can take months. That process can be you go to a broker, they find a couple of carriers that may have an interest in you, then you start having, you know, you fill out an application that may be, you know, substantially larger. It may be, you know, 10, 15, 20 pages by the time you're done. Then you start having underwriting calls with the underwriter where they're going to want to talk to the CISO and they're going to want to basically depose them, if you will, mm. I mean, because they're trying to understand the holistic risk of that organization. And, and they're going to have, they're going to be very technical on the side of the underwriter, they're going to understand security, they're going to understand that business, and they're going to get very granular into what are you doing? You know, how are you mitigating that risk? And they're going to use that to form their picture overall, really, of how risky it is to, to write them. And so there's, there's a wide range of variability there between what it takes to get coverage and how much. And, and so, and, 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 and I know we've talked in the past about some of the things that you look for, and I mentioned these underwriter 
Uh, folks are also looking, hey, do you allow remote access? I mean, do you, I mean, there's certain things that they've, again, built up that historic data, right? To know that, yes, these are the typical entry points that have resulted in us having to pay out. And, That's and right. we, want to, we want to avoid that. Yeah, 45% of the cases we see that are ransomware come in through remote desktop, RDP access, if mm -hmm. it's a small to mid-sized company. So they're going to say, what do you allow RDP in your environment? Un, you know, open RDP. They're going to look at your backup policy. They're going to want to see how do you back up and restore? Have you tested it to make sure, you know, that there's it's configured properly? All those things because they see that. And, and you know, one kind of game changer in all of that, that, that we have to kind of keep in mind is for some of these smaller organizations, they don't have the resources and the carriers aren't willing to invest the time. They don't have the luxury of the time to do these underwriting calls or extensive applications. Mm -hmm. So what they're doing is, and, and for larger ones as well, some of these carriers are partnering with security solutions to do scanning, you know, either before to, to help them evaluate the risk or during the entire life of the coverage. Because you can't scanning. just do you can't do a once and That's done right. assessment. I mean, it is a continually evolving environment. And if you're just basing your decision on that questionnaire or that one-time assessment. And that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a foolhardy approach, right? You know, and, and what it really is coming back to, we're seeing a maturing of cyber insurance, just like we're seeing a maturing of cybersecurity. You know, for years we've been preaching cybersecurity is not check the box compliance. That's not how you, you attain more secure status, right? And, and it leads me to a question I'm always asked as an attorney, which is, you know, Sean, what is reasonable cybersecurity? And my answer to that is reasonable cybersecurity is a process. It is not a definition. It is a process of having a program or a process in place where you're continually assessing your risk. You're continually evaluating the threats, prioritizing them and addressing and executing upon them as you go forward. And that may change two months from now. You know, I mean, look right now at companies. They, assuming a company had that type of program or process in place, that risk management program, last week they probably had a top tier number one priority to go take care of. And then over, you know, with, since that time, we've had this new. And just, to, and just to clarify for our listeners, last week was last Friday is when Log4j um, exploits started occurring. So, yeah, that's so. right. And so now you have to adapt and reprioritize and say, no, stop. Stop what you were doing last week. We got to get this done first. This is top priority. And then in two weeks from now, maybe we come back to it. Right. You have to be active. You can't just check a few boxes and say we're done. This is an ongoing battle and we have to treat it as such. Sean, since we're on the topic of Log4J, um, just out of curiosity, I mean, have you seen anything different in the response from the cyber insurer side of the equation? Yeah, Rob, it, this has been really interesting because, you know, in the past, we see cyber insurance carriers push out marketing materials. We see, you know, latest threat intelligence, ransomware tips, stuff like that. 
but not a lot of it. And more of it's somewhat generic. With this particular threat, I've seen more um, cyber insurance carriers uniformly pushing out legitimate threat intelligence and legitimate technical um, information on how to protect against it. And it, 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 to me, to see it across the industry, it, it may be a result of something like the Cyber AccuView group saying, hey, get this out to your policyholders, or it may, it may just be learning from the past. But it looks like they've become much more proactive with this. And either it's, they, they recognize the potential for the tremendous loss that can come about from it, or it's just a change in policy overall about how they're going to handle threat intelligence coming out. But yeah, so the answer is absolutely. Um, a lot of so that's a good thing, though, right? I mean, I, I would think yeah. that, that goes back to what you kind of started with uh, in response to Stan's question, which is it's a maturation process for them as well. They're realizing, right? They're they're seeing what's happening out there, and I would say, you know, the larger organizations it comes across, and maybe they kind of take a look to see if there's something new that they're picking up on what the cyber insurance is providing them, but you know, go down to your, right, to your point earlier about the SMB market, like that's very helpful information that they're probably not even, you know, kind of understanding where to start. So it gives them some sort of an indicator, these are things you should consider. So I think that's, that's a nice partnership, at least aspect of it as well. It, it really is. And the other thing it does is it gets front and center in people's minds of, hey, if I have, if I'm concerned about this and I have cyber insurance, let me get in touch with my carrier now. And, and maybe that, enables them to open a claim, get professionals in before there's an exploitation of that vulnerability and maybe start getting them secure proactively. And we've seen that happen in the past with some of these, you know, like with the the uh, server, uh, Microsoft server issue back last spring, we saw several cases where that was happening. And so, you know, it, it's getting more valuable information out front and center where people can see it. And I think that is part of maturing this process overall. Um, but then the downside that concerns me as we go forward is what we see, what we call breach fatigue. You know, um, we all focused on Target, Home Depot, Neiman Marcus, all those breaches, right? And then you just see the flood of them over and over and you're like, oh God, not another breach, you know? I hope we don't see that with this kind of intelligence. Yeah, agreed. Well, Sean, as always, it's been a great conversation. And I always say this the first go around, which is we'll probably have you on again. And I'm sure that's going to be the case going forward. So thanks for coming on. New topic. What's hot? What's out there? And we can always count on you for some really great intel as well. So appreciate the time. Well, thank you all very much. It's always a pleasure. And I'm always happy to join in whenever, uh, whenever there's something I can add. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to have us cover a specific topic of interest, feel free to reach out to us and you can find out how in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe. This podcast was brought to you by CyberRes, a micro-focused line of business where our mission is to deliver cyber resilience by engaging people, process, and technology to protect, detect, and evolve.